0: Everyone I've ever asked who is in your family unit and what does family mean to you have always brought up friends and loved ones that are outside of their quote unquote nuclear family or genetic family. And that is that we humans just need to exist in relationship with others. We need community. And the more that we can jump in and band together and support parents and people of all kinds and all types of families with love, with celebration, with great books and great movies and great resources and podcasts like yours and mine, the better and more in community we feel. And that's really important.
1: So our guest today is Julia Carroll. Julia is building a family her way. Along the way she is asking anyone and everyone about how they came to make the decisions they did regarding family life. She's opening up an honest, funny, raw and earnest conversation looking at what creating a family really means and how it might show up differently than expected. On her podcast Storked, Julia explores the concepts of today's modern family. She talks to everyday friends, family, neighbors, and experts sharing their own journey to define and create a family. When she's not hosting Storked, Julia runs a private investment firm, which acquires, operates, and improves businesses at a crossroads. She loves supporting businesses to grow and evolve. If you ask Julia her role, she will say she is a mom, creative leader, warm friend, animal lover, and champion of alternative families. So welcome, Julia. I'm so glad you're here today. I think this is a really important conversation around creating families in our own way. So welcome.
0: Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here with you today and love the community that you've built and just honored to get to participate in it some way.
1: So I want to talk about how you're building family your way. So let's start with that, your story and your journey to parenthood.
0: Yeah, so I am 40 now. My son is a year and a half. And in my mid-30s, I had a big breakup that just sort of like crippled me emotionally. And the reason it was so painful wasn't because of the loss of this person that I was dating. In hindsight, it was actually just such a blessing in disguise. It was because I thought this meant that I didn't get to have a family. Because in my head, a family looked like the white picket fence you know, you've got two partners, scare straight, you've got two partners and you're raising 2.5 kids and a white pick fence dog, you know, the, the whole thing. And that had been handed to me by the media, you know, great TV shows and movies and books and all that stuff. And by what I was witnessing in the world around me. And it didn't occur to me that I could have something other than that at first. Um, eventually, as I sort of progressed through my dating journey and started getting really true with the inner self-reflection around who I am, what I want, what my values are, it became clear that actually doing it with a partner maybe was not the right fit for me. And so I always say that my plan B quickly became my plan A. And I had my son when I was 39. And yeah, he's amazing. It was just like the best thing in the world. In the process, to get that clarity, I talked to everyone. I talked to people who were in traditional family units, you know, what's working in your marriage and what's not working in your marriage. And I talked to people who were in blended family structures because at the time I was dating somebody with two kids and I said, you know, could I, I was trying on different lifestyles for size. Could I be a stepmom? and would I be satisfied if that was the way in which I parented exclusively? And what about adoption? How did that feel? I actually went down to Columbia and spoke to a woman who had run an adoption agency there for 40 years. How did that feel for me? Um, How about no kids? And I talked to a lot of people who had never had kids. And so that's actually where Storked came from, because all of a sudden people were sharing like the most intimate parts of their family lives with me. And I said, wow, this is so special. Let's record it. And that's where the podcast came from. Um, But it helped me tremendously in sharpening my sense of who I was and what kind of family I wanted.
1: Wow. Very nice. I'm going to share a little bit about my story as we get into the, yeah, um, the episode, but you know, I have a, similar story. And a lot of my listeners already know, but for anybody new, knew, I started out in that, you know, white picket fence. We had three kids, but one older son and then twins. So, you know, two pregnancies, three kids, but we did end up separating and getting divorced. And that was a whole process.
0: Yeah.
1: That, you know, was something, a journey I didn't think I was going to take. So I ended up in more of a non-traditional or alternative family than the, you know, two parents and staying together while you raise the kids all the way through. So let's talk about alternative family structures and how important it is to build your ideal family using your own values as your guide.
0: Yeah, well, the first thing I'll say is we have structured um, the definition of alternative families in otherness to the White Picket Fest family, right? But when you look at the statistics, most of us are living in alternative families. 50% of marriages end in divorce. More and more women of my generation are single. More and more people are choosing either to be single forever or child free by choice or to choose to, to go the solo parenting route when the 90s 1994 enabled gay marriage all of a sudden the legal rights that gay couples had to their family units and to family building changed and so now I think it's not an alternative family it is our family lives and I just think that we aren't paying enough attention to what the real meaning of family is in our culture these days you just described it you you created what you thought was the right fit for you, and then went in a different direction. And that's very common. So I think it's really important that we celebrate and talk about all families and all family structures and all family units. And I think we give permission to one another to have whatever family works for us. And that may mean exiting a marriage that no longer serves you. It may mean choosing to co-parent with somebody that you never marry. Um, It may mean choosing to do it without a co-parent. It may mean that you have a wonderful family and raise incredible children, but they're not biologically related to you. Either they're adopted or you use an embryo donation or there's a foster care situation or step parenting. I mean, there's so many different structures of family. And I'm I'm hoping that as listeners hear me say this, they're nodding because at least some members of their friends or families fit into that description of... Alternative, yes, but also maybe more accurately where we are now as a culture, what kind of families are are becoming the norm.
1: I, I love that you talk about giving permission, because I think that's a really important piece of a slow shift over time where, you know, early on in the 50s and 60s, when families did get divorced, when women would leave marriages that weren't working for them, there was so much shame and they were like ostracized from society. Yeah. And- a part of that is a fear, right? There's a fear around. Well, it, if she's doing that, then it, it's like a disease that might we might catch it. And so, if we leave that over there and don't let it permeate our reality, then then we're safe. So there's some of that. So, but it's really important to give permission and to allow a lot of different family structures because it is so pervasive today. There's just a lot of, you know, different families, grandparents raising kids, and as all the other structures that you mentioned.
0: Yeah, I'm really glad you you highlight that, the 1950s ideal. Remember that the single mom concept, the narrative around being a single mom was really negative too for a while. It was welfare moms draining the system and destroying you know, the values that we Americans hold dear. And, and if you were a single parent in some way, you were not giving your kid enough, you were not enough. And so I think we hold these concepts. There sometimes continues to be this Outward and very overt taboo about some of these choices, some of these family structures. Some of that's cultural, depending on where you live in the country or how you're raised, but sometimes it's not so explicit. Sometimes the tabooing isn't so explicit. It's that you say, okay, I know that being a single parent is acceptable. And am I going to be enough for my kid? Is that sufficient? And that question, am I going to be enough as one parent? It doesn't come from what a child actually needs. They need consistent love and care, and this is your expertise, you know, you know, kids need presence, consistency, stability, lovingness, you know, that can come from one people or it can come from many people that can come from two parents or or maybe not. And so the question, am I enough, comes from our um, cultural norms and what was traditionally considered taboo
1: very true and research you know there was research done in the 70s and 80s and you know there's a lot of bias in research and when you look at the research studies it's as if the scientists were trying to prove that the two parent household was was better for the kids and so they really did their best to design the research in to support their bias yeah. but as we look at the research it actually shows that's not true and what kids really need is what you said is they need security, they need stability. And whether that comes from a single parent or two, so long as they're getting that, that's what's best for them. So if two parents together are fighting and it's unstable and it's scary, that's worse than having two households where there is more stability, more quiet, more calm. That is actually what's better for the kids.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And one of the themes that all of my guests share A lot of my guests on Storked have long fertility journeys. You know, they're battling infertility. Sometimes it's female factor infertility. Sometimes it's male factor infertility. Sometimes it's unexplained infertility. Some of my guests are choosing not to have kids. Some of our guests are choosing to be solo parents. Some are choosing adoption. There's a theme that runs through many of the episodes, not all. And that is that there's sometimes a little bit of shame around an alternative family structure, And it's not that somebody's saying, I'm ashamed of my family and I don't love the way my family structure is comprised. It's more like other people sometimes project negative energy in the way in which I've chosen to live my family life. For instance, I know a lot of people who have a lot of guilt around their divorce. They feel bad that they're not living in the two-party household that they were taught is the right thing for their kids. But it just, as you said, if you're fighting and miserable with your co-parent.
1: I went through that.
0: Yeah. How was that for you?
1: Yeah. I mean, I went through the guilt stage. We didn't have fighting. I felt like I was putting my needs above my kids. I was putting my happiness above my kids. I felt like they would be happier in a two-parent household. I felt like they would be happier to have both parents cohabitating. And
0: so there was a lot of guilt around that I had to work through. Yeah. I struggled tremendously with the putting my needs before my kid. I think it's a really hard concept for parents. Again, this is your area of expertise, but in choosing to be a solo parent, in some ways, I put my need above my kids, right? Which is, I really wanted to parent. I was really ready to parent. And so if at some point my son grows up and says, you know, I really feel like I missed out because you didn't have a partner, then, you know, to some extent, I I did put my needs ahead of his. And when it comes to his donor conception, there's a lot of complexities in the donor conception world. Which I'm sure we can get into if you'd like. And so, one of the questions I have in the back of my head always is: By choosing a sperm donor that was right for me, did I do a disservice for my son, who never gets to know one half of his DNA? He never knows to, get to gets to know fifty percent of who he is. So, this push pull between what is right for a parent and what is right for a kid, it gets really sticky in all parenting relationships, but particularly in some of these alternative family structures. It, it definitely does
1: and that's something we're constantly trying to balance. I'm going to say just from my end having a parent who loves and wants to be a parent in the worst way is the best parent that a child can have. So which is head and shoulders above a family who is has two parents but they're just, you know, kind of lukewarm or you know, I just think you, a child can't ask for more than that.
0: Yeah, I always ask that question. Whenever I talk to anyone who's a parenting expert, I always ask like, is my parenting style going to be different? Or is the support he receives going to be different as a result of the way in which I came about becoming a parent? And again, I think that question is always driven by guilt. Am I not doing enough? Am I like failing in some way?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's just some of that the guilt that we all carry about what should be which isn't necessarily the truth of, you know, the reality of what we live day to day and what's most important one of my values the reasons that I felt finally like I was putting my kids' needs above mine is that it was really important to me I didn't want my kids to see my marriage as the example of what marriage is yeah and that is that we were very friendly we got along we didn't fight we didn't have any discord but was very platonic and we were like friends and business partners. We ran a tight ship. We picked up where each other left off. We were great partners, but we weren't romantic, passionate, interested in each other. There just was not that, that interest in the other person's growth and goals. And I, I just, I couldn't let my kids think that this is what marriage is because I knew they would grow up and repeat it. And then have to go through exactly what I went through is I'm not really happy or this isn't really fulfilling to me, but this is what marriage is because this is what my parents showed me. And so in the end, I felt like I actually was doing them a disservice by staying. And that was the value that I had to put forward when I made that decision.
0: Yeah, that is such a powerful story. And thank you for sharing. I, I totally resonate with that. And I resonate with it on two fronts. I mentioned that I was dating somebody at one point who had two kids and was going through a divorce. And I witnessed this with him um, where over the years, he and his ex-wife became really well-connected and well-bonded co-parents because that was the part of their relationship that just thrived. And they worked really hard at it. They really made it their value. Go- and their, their goal was to be a united front and be a supportive co-parenting team. And I admire that quite a bit. It was interesting to date because like, even though my intellectual brain was saying, oh my gosh, you guys are really working hard on behalf of your kids. And that is a value that I believe in so wholeheartedly. It makes me adore you more. There's also the like heart centered part that was a little jealous, like, oh, but she's getting attention and time and whatever from you, which she deserved, right? They were married for a long time and they are co-parents. It can be hard to be the third party in that kind of co-parenting relationship when you're dating somebody who's thriving in their co-parenting. You know, that's probably, probably not something I should admit it out loud, but, and yet it's so admirable. And I think, I agree with you that I think the kids that we are raising in these alternative families are seeing us self-actualized. I think they're seeing us thrive and be the best version of ourselves you know, single parenting was not something that happened to me. It wasn't that I was partnered and that person left or passed away or something else. Um, And that happens and we should support and love those families too. But in my case, it was something I chose and I'm hoping that my kid sees that and says, okay, I can make big, bold choices according to what's best for me. And that maybe he'll choose to do that in his career or in the kind of education that he pursues or you know, the way in which he chooses to make his mark on society.
1: Curious about ByHeart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with the code parenting for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. My son wants to be a pro tennis player. And so, you know, that's a very difficult path. He's told he started really late started playing at 12 and got serious at 13. So we've been told not by his coach, but by other people in the community, like, oh, he's never gonna be more than a recreational player. But I was just like, he has this passion and I have to support it. And so, you know, I don't know if my decision to be bold with my decision about how to, you know, to run our family, uh, you know, affected that. I'm sure the way that I've raised him just in general has definitely had an effect on, him feeling empowered to just
0: follow his his passion. And so you could be very right, right on with that. Yeah, how could that not have affected him? I mean, you've chosen to live a life that is heart-centered, where you're doing the deep introspection. And by the way, I think it's really hard to raise boys these days. I think we don't have a lot of models for how to raise men who, raise boys into men in a way where they can have high EQ and high introspection. So by modeling the ability to look inside yourself and say, this isn't working for me in my marriage, hopefully you're teaching him how to do the same for him, whether it's tennis or something else. And I'm hoping that my kid, my son learns the same, you know, that my mom looked inside her heart, figured out what her values were and pursued a life according to those values. And so maybe that'll make him a more emotionally attuned human. (laughs) I'm
1: sure it will. I'm absolutely sure it will. And part of that is just the way that you've unfolded so far, I can tell you're going to continue to unfold in that way. And be that person who's there to listen when he says this isn't working for me. And, you know, my son and I have worked to come up with a a way of schooling for him that's going to work. He goes, he still goes to school, regular school, but it's not working for him. He's bored. He's got straight A's. He's taking a class ahead, a year ahead in math already. And he's still getting straight A's and setting the curve in every class. And he's like, I'm just I'd rather be on the tennis court than be in the classroom. So for next year, he's going to be basically homeschooled and doing college classes and then playing tennis as much as he can. And we've had to work through that. And I'm sure that when your son is ready to, you know, is saying something isn't working for him because of the
0: path that you've chosen, because you've opened your heart, I'm sure you'll be like, okay, let's figure this out together. Yeah, let's hope, right? That's the kind of parent I want to aspire to be. I think you're describing exactly like, somebody who can be adaptable and flexible and really think through each situation and take it in measure and in stride. That's the kind of parent I would love to be. You're a great role model for that.
1: Thank you. So I'm gonna talk a little bit more about this. We got a little bit on a tangent, but I love it because it's so interesting. And you've touched on this a little bit, but I think there's probably more under here. So I'd love to hear what you have to say. And that is the families that you've talked to because you've talked to so many different types of families who've made different decisions. So if you could share with us what you've learned about alternative families, like some of the common themes and trends, and or if there's something
0: in particular with a story or two that's really
1: stood out for you.
0: Yeah, that's a really great question. Well, I mentioned a little bit about the shame thing. And it's not that people are ashamed of their alternative families. It's that we have to spend time when constructing an alternative family, if it's intentional or not intentional, deconstructing the information we've been given. And what I mean by that is, let's talk about uh, soul parenting for a second. If you can identify the messages that you've received and say, okay, I've received a message that from media or from culture or from school or whatever, that you have to have two parents in a family. If you can identify that that's a message that's outside of yourself, then you can decide, do I like that message? Do I agree with it? Do I ascribe to it or not? And so in my case, I identified that and said, yeah, no, I, it doesn't work for me, but it's very common. And I know a lot of people who have considered the solo parent route and who have said, you know what? It is important to me. I want a partner who can support me and allow me to be the best partner possible by enabling me to take rest and helping me with big, major decisions and just being my co parent in this. So that's one example is like, I think alternative families often require the introspection around what messages we've received and which ones we want to keep. The second is that we have to acknowledge when the shame is our own and when it comes from somebody else. Again, those messages. I actually mentioned this to a woman who has a very alternative family. She's a good friend of my sister's. And I, and I said, well, one of the things that comes up for many, not all, but many of my episodes is shame. And she looked at me and goes, I have no shame. I've never once felt shame about my family. I feel nothing but pride and joy. And uh, it made me realize A, that I'd been articulating this theme wrong and B, like how amazing is that to say I created a family that I have a lot of pride and joy around. And then the last thing I'll say is there's a theme around grief. I think life is just so much more complicated than it's portrayed to be. And I don't know anyone who's got any kind of family that hasn't experienced grief in some way, maybe it's an actual loss of a loved one. And we've talked through a lot of those experiences, but sometimes it's the loss of the way you thought life would be. I thought I'd be parenting with somebody else. I thought I'd be married. And every once in a while I open a magazine and I see that gorgeous white dress or, you know, the, the like flower arch or something. And I feel that pang of grief that like, this isn't, that's not going to happen for me. And I know Many people who have gotten divorced who feel grief and loss around the family they thought they were going to have. They may be happier post divorce, but they thought they were going to have a family unit that was nuclear. So I think there's some grief in that. I think there's also a lot of grief in fertility journeys. Uh, It's very rarely that you try for a couple months and then boom, you're pregnant. And so grief ends up being one of those themes that comes up so, so, so much. And then the final thing that comes up is community. It's that like, Everyone I've ever asked who is in your family unit and what does family mean to you have always brought up friends and loved ones that are outside of their quote unquote nuclear family or genetic family. And that is that we humans just need to exist in relationship with others. We need community. And the more that we can jump in and band together and support parents and people of all kinds and all types of families with love, with celebration, with great books and great movies and great resources and podcasts like yours and mine, the better and more in community we feel. And that's really important.
1: Wow. Yeah, those are great
0: themes. And I can definitely relate to
1: all of them. Grief, obviously, with, you know, life not turning out the way you expected it to, the way that you envisioned in your mind, we get this happily ever after. Like, it's just especially my generation, you know, Disney princesses back in my day, you know, they got married like Cinderella and Snow White, and they were happily ever after. And we were just sold that, you know, ideal. Um, And that's not the way life usually turns out. And then we also had a fertility journey with with all of our kids.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, see, I, I don't think we talk about fertility journeys enough. We just assume it happens and it like, boom, it's done. The other thing I'll say that's come up in almost every episode is a wrestling with self-identity. Because when you talk about your families, you're really talking about yourself. So even the most traditional family unit where somebody finds their perfect person, gets married, ends up having kids, it doesn't take a lot of work. It's simple. There are many points in which your identity shifts. You shift from going from a single person to a married couple and how to be from in, in a tandem with somebody, in we with somebody. And then you have to learn how to become a parent. And there's an identity shift in that. And then, of course, we all lose people that we love. And so there's an identity shift that happens there. And that's our traditional family. When you talk about non-traditional families, they're like, who am I? What does that mean? What's my identity? What's my sense of self? It's like this constant evolving thing. And every time your family changes, your relationship to yourself changes.
1: Very true. And I see this a lot, you know, with once you become a parent, there's also this, I think, has been a societal expectation that is so heavy, especially on moms, that our identity gets wrapped up in being a mom. And then it's, we're supposed to give, this is where the codependence comes in. Right. We're supposed to give so much of ourselves, like Shel Silverstein's the giving tree, like we're supposed to give and give and give to our kids. Yeah. And so we have a hard time setting those boundaries about who am I as a person, because I've been a person for a long time before I had kids, and I'm going to be a person after they leave home. And so how do we balance that? And not, you know, if we have needs, or we try to take care of ourselves, that we're being selfish, we're
0: not a good mother, if we're not kind of overgiving. Oh, totally. That, I mean, I'm a year and a half into my parenting journey and that really resonates with me. I've been really grappling with my sense of self after having my kid. And one of the things is, okay, now how am I supposed to take care of myself? Like there's no time or space for that. And sometimes I think that's true for solo parents more than all parents, but then I think it's actually true for everyone or just it's, it's hard that the social norm is to just give until depletion. and at least for me, and in the first year and a half, I wanted to give until depletion. And it's only recently that I've said, wait a minute, if I keep giving like this, I'm not going to be a great parent uh, for much longer. I'm going to burn out. Very true. I mean, because that's part of the way it's set up. Like In the very beginning, we almost have
1: to, because they need us almost 24-7, right? They're, they need to eat on demand. They're waking up through the middle of the night. like, And so then there's a shift that has to happen and a lot of parents really struggle with that shift because the next thing they've got a toddler is getting up out of bed. They're kind of running the household, and they're like, "Okay, wait, I think I missed something." Yeah, you know, an exit back, um, and I have to get back on track. So there's this shift that we just tend to miss if we don't, you know, if we're not really cognizant about it. Which how
0: how are you going to be, especially with your first child? <laughs> it kind of takes you by surprise. Totally. Yeah, I feel very on my heels and surprised like every moment. <laughs> it's like, whoa, okay, we're here now. Um, we're at the phase where we've recently started temper tantrums. And I'm like, whoa, this is a whole new ball game."
1: <laughs> I'm glad I'm past all those stages. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this has been a wonderful conversation. I, I went in a lot of directions I wasn't planning on, but I just think it was such a great conversation that I felt like I wanted to follow it. So I think we followed some really interesting thoughts that I uh, didn't originally plan and learned. We learned a lot. I'm so um, happy to have you on today. I definitely check out Julia's podcast Storked. If there's any other way you want people to come and find you or reach out or anything you want to share more about um, the work that you're doing around this area of family positivity and alternative families, let us
0: know. Yeah. So thank you for that. Uh, You can find Storked wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on Instagram, storked_podcast. We're on Facebook and I have a weekly newsletter and really would love people to sign up for that too, please. And where do they get that? Oh, I'm sorry. You can go if you go onto the storked website, storkedpodcast.com, you can find the sign up for the newsletter and all sorts of great resources. I've got some really amazing corporate partners that will have discounts if you're looking for discounts and there's a couple of download free downloads that you can get with some resources and educational tools. That I've done in tandem with some of my guests. And so there's a lot of information on that website. Oh, awesome. That's wonderful. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. And thank you for coming on today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure.